Today we have a special guest. His name is Peter Anthony. The reason he's a special guest is because most guests don't die. <laughs> Peter Anthony died in November 11th, 1987 at 11 p.m. in room 11. Hi, Peter. Hi. Actually, I died at 11, 11 p.m. in room 11, you know, on November the 11th. So I had all these 11s there in my, in I, uh, uh, I guess, going on in my life at that time. So it was 11, 11 at 11, 11 p.m. in room, operating room 11. Wow. What yeah. Do, what do you think? Uh, well, tell us about your story. But before, let's circle back all the way to the beginning when you, when you worked with uh, CBS. Yeah, I was a, an image consultant, freelance image consultant. I kind of worked my way up through the Audience Research Development Center, and um, I was doing an internship, and I was approached by a segment producer. They saw me on, at that time, it was a show hosted by Lisa Gibbons called PM Magazine. And um, I actually replaced a, a last-minute cancellation, and um, the segment producer happened to see me that night, and uh, I did all these series of interviews, uh, never interested in politics, certainly not interested in CBS News. I was starting to become a special effects makeup artist. And anyway, long story made short, I took the job, and in the height of my career with CBS uh, in 1987, I clinically died um, uh, on an operating table due to a perforated viscous. And months and months before that, um, Evan, I had been misdiagnosed. They thought I had a stomach ulcer. So oh, it wasn't a stomach ulcer. No, it was not a stomach ulcer. Uh, I didn't even know that I had tuberculosis, <laughs> and um, I had tuberculosis, and at the I, I had Crohn's disease, and I let something very simple go. You know, you know how it is when you're in the industry, and we work such long hours, especially when you're traveling all over the nation like I was. You know, you can't make your doctor's appointment, so I just kept popping pills, thinking, you know, <laughs> if if one is good, three is even better. Right. So, so by the time I came to November the 11th, um, I was at a rap party, and uh, I literally just boiled over in the bathroom and just began to bleed all over myself and oh. collapsed. And how I got home is beyond me. I don't know, but I called a friend, and, and then by the time they got there, I had passed out and rushed me into the hospital, and that's where everything kind of just went, you know, south. very south, <laughs> <laughs> below the equator. <laughs> so what, what kind of pills were you taking? Were they like... Uh, I was, mm. At that time, there was a, a medicine called Tagamet. Oh, Tagamet. Yeah, Tagamet was like an anti-acid uh, reflux, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I should have been taking anti-inflammatory, and um, uh, which I wasn't. And you know me, I just let something go. You know, I've never been a one to go to the doctor. I mean, I you know in our industry, when you're in the TV film industry, I mean, if you're sick, you go to work. Right. You know, there's so much on your plate, and you really have to have a It's very competitive. Extreme. Well, yeah, you're so replaceable, and uh, so I was like, you know what? Hey, you get to work. You're you 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 can work. So uh, unfortunately, you know that night, as I said, the perfect storm was. I by the time they got me in there, you know, it was way too late. Number one, I didn't want to bleed in my suit, so I changed to some thrift clothes. And I had a friend, a new friend, if I will, take me to the hospital, and they thought I was homeless. They thought that I had AIDS, <clears throat> and they refused to check me in. So <clears throat> the intern pushed me in a corner and left me there probably in an hour and a half while I was bleeding to death. So by the time I got into the, into the, uh, into the emergency room, it was, it was too late. Right. So uh, they rushed me to the OR, and at 11, 11 p.m., and those shot bottles came to my chest, and that's when I began to see the, what so many of us call the, the tunnel. And uh, so that's where my, if you will, my life began and where it ended. Yeah, so tell us about the, uh, the tunnel. Before the tunnel, though, I did read that 
you would put newspapers in your jacket so you would appear uh, not as thin as you actually were. Is that true? Yeah. I mean, I was typically 165, ran every day, worked out, martial arts. <clears throat> and by the time August and September came around, I was hitting, you know, 100 pounds. So I was stuffing my wow. my um, suit and, sh- uh, and uh, shirts with newspaper and Kleenex and toilet tissue so you couldn't tell I had so much – had lost so much weight. And I also was like layering, you know, my, my suit so – um, you know, by the time I got out of this whole you know fiasco, I stayed at 89 pounds for almost two years, and uh, it was it was a climb to to get back to to at least to 160. So, um, but um, yeah, it was it was it was it was a tough ordeal for me. And you have to understand, you know, back in those 80s, I mean, there was so much hype about the AIDS epidemic. No one right. knew. Very stigmatized. You know, Oh, it was. It was like the Ebola plague that happened a couple of years ago. I mean, doctors, nurses, there were so many people dying, especially in San Francisco, for those who remember those years. Right. Uh, people were being turned away. And uh, so for me, being dressed in homeless clothes, it kind of, you know, sentenced my, my <laughs> if you will, Put my your death. life in danger in a way. Yeah, it really did, yeah. And so, okay, so then you, you went into this tunnel, and was it immediately, or was it like a, a progress? Did you start to kind of like fade into this uh, yeah, other I world, mean, or was it kind of like a snap of a finger? It was, well, again, being agnostic, I mean, I didn't believe in God, I didn't believe in any of this stuff, I didn't believe in metaphysics, um, but I, at my, at 11-11, actually it was a little bit after 11, it wasn't quite 11-11, um, as I was going in on a consciousness, I remember they put me on the on the operating table, and they couldn't keep the IVs in my arms. I'd lost so much weight, and uh, the uh, uh, the IVs kept collapsing uh, in my veins. So I remember the uh, the anesthesiologist flipped me over on my side, and that's the last thing I remember. Other than at that time, I could see my body uh, on the operating table, but me in spirit form, if you will, was looking down. Me, Peter Anthony, looking down at Peter Anthony on the operating table. And I remember at 11, 11 p.m., they were bringing those shock paddles to my chest, and I'm looking at the clock. I'm seeing this, I call it the bullseye, this rotating tunnel. Uh, and uh, I kept seeing people that I recognized, but not, you know, I had lost the majority of my family by the time I was in my early 20s. So, you know, for many of us who've had near-death experiences, typically what happens, you see your former family, friends, you know, right. people past. Well, I was seeing people, but from previous lifetimes. Oh. Yeah. And so here I was seeing these people that I recognized, people, women that were my mom, you know, my parents, my brothers, my sisters. And for me, you know, looking at this, it's not that I question, I just began to accept. So it wasn't until the second tunnel came around that I began to see. What, what color was the tunnel, by the way, the first one? Well, it's, for me, it was like a rotating white golden light okay. spiraling tunnel. Um, and the odd thing about that, and, and many people talk about this, and many people haven't had this experience, but it was as though something attached itself to my solar plexus. Okay. And I, meaning, it, it's not that it attached it to the physical form of Peter Anthony on the operating table, as much as I felt this spiritual, if you will, or invisible, whatever you want to call it, tube, tom- being attached to my solar plexus, and I was being pulled into this, into this spiraling tunnel. And as I'm spinning through this tunnel, I began to see mathematical equations. I began to download quantum physics and geometry. I mean, I began to download what I call the collective intelligence. And I've shared with so many of my uh, um, people on all my lectures around the world. I mean, just imagine the mind of Darwin and and, uh, Tesla and, and Einstein and Edison all being downloaded in your consciousness, and you're getting every bit of it. 
Uh, and I, I was just, you know, I wasn't going, oh my God, what is going on? How come and do it? You accepted it. You don't question. You, you go into another state, if you will, of consciousness of just understanding, allowing, and accepting. Right, right. Uh, Carl Jung actually uh, writes about the collective consciousness, and it kind of sounds very similar to kind of what you tapped into. Well, I was tapping into it, and I think for me, you know, when I was able to finally get healthy again, and to this day, Evan, I am constantly reading everything. I'm writing a screenplay. I'm working on my second book. I'm almost complete with that. I am um, working on a... uh, a, a format for a new television series I'm working on. I'm constantly reading, researching, downloading new information. I cannot get enough information. It's just something that, I mean, I'm, I've am i traveled all around the planet. I, I go to what I call do vortex work where I'm downloaded with more information. It's become, if you will, a healthy addiction of just information for me to, to just for my own well-being. Right. And to, do you think your near-death experience kind of uh, motivated that behavior? Oh, absolutely. Without, without a doubt. I mean, I, as I said, I mean, part of that was when I came back and I, you know, I think I mentioned, you know, uh, in my breakdown that I, I lost my vision. Uh, I was in a wheelchair for, for many, many, many months. And so when I could see, I had uh, a girlfriend of mine bring me um, numerology books. Um, I had to understand why I was seeing all these quantum physics and geometry, and also codes that I was unfamiliar with, like 000.000.111.00.11. I was seeing all these odd numbers, as well as what I call triple codes. For your audience who sees 222 or 333 or 77 or 999, um, this was a part of a new formula for me. So when I came back, I started doing research on numerology just to try to figure out why I was seeing these numbers. To this day, I'm still haunted by all these triple codes. And uh, even in my lectures, I've traveled, as I said, everywhere. And it's interesting because there are all these millennials who all come to my lectures, and they're the ones who are seeing all these triple codes. It's either it's the baby boomers or the millennials. And I've had them as young as 9 and 10-year-old sitting in the first row or these 18, 19, 20, 20-year-olds, you know, asking about the triple codes. So it happened in Berkeley. It happened in uh, Phoenix. It happened in Arizona uh, in, um, and uh, Tempe, um, uh, Santa Barbara. All these young kids showing up, which is interesting because, I mean, I, you know, you wouldn't think that um, that people this young were not so metaphysically inclined or in tune, but they right. are. Well, that makes sense. Uh, you know, with evolution, uh, maybe the, our souls become uh, smarter and smarter at uh, being receptors for this other world. Oh, absolutely. I mean, they. I mean, think about their 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 world and, and their perception of what they're seeing. And their education is, you know, their their the environment. You know, I mean, they're looking at their future, and and you know, many of us, you know, our our our. You know, we're living in those times of we've pretty much put in our time, and we're going towards another, um, another part of our life where they're just beginning. So there are a lot of great concerns for them, and I think that's why so many are seeking answers and want the truth. You know, I think they're not here to judge. They don't care about gay, straight, black, white, Christian, Muslim. They care about, I think, more unity than what I've seen in many generations. Right, I agree with that. Um, what is a gratitude walk? Oh, my God. Well, you know, it's funny because, as I said, I was blind. They couldn't figure out why. They couldn't figure out why all these medications were having these inexplicable reactions to my physical body. So what I do in my gratitude walk is every day I get up and I take a gratitude walk because I'm 
there's not a day that doesn't go by that when I see the mountains or see a hummingbird or see rain or clouds or, or fog, I see it. And you know, for any of us who've been blind and regained their eyesight, you never forget that. And then coupled with the fact that I, uh, I still can't run today, but I can walk. And so I'm grateful, number one, that I'm alive and grateful that I can see and grateful that I can walk. So in that gratitude walk, what I do is I, an example, like tomorrow, you'll be in my gratitude walk. And I'll say, thank you, higher universe, God, however you perceive it to be. But um, thank you for this conversation with Evan on Thursday. I bless everything. And what I try to teach people in my lectures, the more we are grateful for what we have rather than reaching and, and asking for in the job, the money, the, the relationship, the education, just be grateful where you are. And the more grateful you are, the more you receive. And at least that's how it works for me. And so my gratitude walk is about just being alive and doing work, being alive and seeing and being alive and walking. Right. That's a really that's a really uh, cool thing to do every day. I think if most more people do that, they definitely be a well, lot you know, happier. Think of, yeah, I think about this whole idea of going to work and and, and just you know we start up, we race the clock, we race the traffic, we you know race to meet the deadlines, the faxes, the the meetings. We're constantly in, in a state of confusion and, and chaos. And I've just learned to slow my frequency down. That's what happened to me during the near death tunnel. Everything slowed down. Okay. As though I was this scene everything for the first time it's like going to the movies or or watching game of thrones this past sunday night or watching the titanic your mind is so your perception is so acute to everything that's happening that you don't question you just go with the flow when you're watching a movie or when you're watching a series you just accept it and so for me that's what i've learned to do is accept every day as as, as a lesson so a homework assignment so you were agnostic before and now do you consider yourself a religious person I don't consider myself a religious person as much as I consider myself a spiritual person, okay. understanding that the teachings of the Christ man and, and also the Buddha and the Avatar were all perfect teachings. You know, what I've seen throughout my travels is that so many people have taken so much information and have manipulated and have edited, and the very teachings of the Christ man were very perfect in, in, their, in their essence, and then man – you know, the Nietzsche Council coming along in the 400 and 500s and changing everything. So the teachings that were true became false, became the truth. So I think for me, religion, if you kind of look at our history, in the name of God, we're always fighting. In the name of God, we, we are, you know, criticizing and condemning, um, you know. So I, I don't look at religion as, as a form of, of my seeking as much as I look at my my spiritual path of being a good person. Uh, I try to do great things on this planet. I'm trying to contribute. Uh, I help you know, abuse children and women, and I rescue animals that have been in abused shelters or homes. So you, I think it's about doing the right thing because it's the right thing to do. That's how I live. Yeah, and, and on that note, I, I know a story you shared that pretty much uh, gripped me, and it's, uh, it's a story about uh, the person you met at a parking lot, which, um. which you didn't know about, but... He had it all written all over his eyes that he wanted to commit suicide, and you reached out to him. Yeah. And in that moment, you kind of almost saved his life because he was ready to go and kill himself. Well, you know, actually, I have to be honest, I did save his life because I went back. Um, and I went back to this gym to work out while I was there just on, you know, on, on business. And there he was working out, and he came up to me, this whole different persona of happiness. And he came and said, I can't thank you enough for you being there at that moment in my life. Well, tell us the story. How did the story well, unfold? 
I was the end of my book tour. I got a last minute booking in Texas, and I was finishing up. So I thought I'll stay here for the holidays and not get on an airplane on and uh, and, and travel on Christmas Eve or or the and um, anyway. Fast forward, I was working out and they were closing early. It was snowing and slitting outside, and I had seen this guy while I was there for a couple of weeks. And he was always depressed, looked down, and when you look at this guy, I mean, his his presence was, oh my God, this guy could have been a model, he could have been a fitness model, he could have been anything. But you could just see that there was this dark energy around him. And as I was going to the parking lot, and it was, you know, sleeting outside, his car was next to my car. That's a quinky dinky, right? And so I wished him Merry Christmas, and this guy looked at me with tears butting up in his eyes, and he confessed to me that he was going to go home and take his life, and that he had lost his father and mother he was very close to. He was an only child, and he was very depressed, moved away from, I think it was Arkansas, and he was just feeling isolated and alone and was really processing the passing of his, of his family. I believe they were killed in an, in an automobile accident. It was very, you know, horrific. And so for this man, this stranger, to cry my arms, you know, I tell everyone, you never know that the person that you are ignoring, whether they're homeless or the woman on the street, you never know that you are that savior to their, to their, to their day. So to me, what I learned, uh, and, and again, it goes back to the gratitude walk, it's not that I was the savior of the day, but I, I, I feel that on some small level, I contributed to the shift of his depression and showed him what I consider, you know, another way of thinking. I told him, you know, I lost all my family in my 20s, so I'm it. And uh, so I, you know, I told my rescue animals, I told him that I, you know, help abused women. I went into this whole saga of what I do, and he looked at me. He even bought my book, He Master, and read it and said he loved it. So, you know, you never know that we are that person that could help someone that day. So reach out. Yes, yes, definitely. Um now, now that you've gone through this experience, and you, you know, do you believe uh, in reincarnation? Oh, absolutely! I, without a doubt, you know, I never believed in reincarnation or past lives. But when I was traveling through this tunnel, I began to see not only my past lives in the 1600s and the 1800s and the the 1500s and during the Inquisition, um, I saw myself as a, as a failed writer in the in the 15 late 1500s. So, the, so, and so people who don't know, the Inquisition was a time where the Spanish government were killing uh, Jews and Muslims, correct? Yes, as well as they were anyone holistic at that time, the homeopathic women who were actually at that time working on holistic medicines were deemed uh, witches, thus the witch trials. And so um, during the Inquisition, all these, the Christians, if you were, were persecuting and, and, and murdering and uh, killing all these people that Weren't were not they burn them at the cap- stake? Weren't they put like a cross? They did burn them yep. at the stake, yes, yeah, yep. at the cross, you know. Um, they used what is called faggot wood, which would burn slowly, and so it would create a, a more painful death. <laughs> so, as I said, so I'm seeing all this in my past lives. But here's something interesting, Evan. Not only did I see my past life, or my past lives, excuse me, plural, but I also saw my life, meaning my personal life review, what I did or didn't do, should have done, but I didn't. But I also saw my future and what I was going to be doing. And I think part of that for me was I had a speech impediment. And I was always very shy and introverted. And I didn't speak up because I was, you know, obviously not ashamed, but I very insecure about the way I spoke. And so I saw myself traveling around the planet doing lectures. And I remember if there was an awe during this near-death experience, that was it for me. I was like, oh my God, I'm talking freely and, um, and, and without stuttering. 
And so for me, when I came back, I, I didn't stutter. I, it was just one of those things that was, if you will, I don't say it was cured instantly, but I'm say I'm 98% stutter-free. And uh, I also um, was a skilled artist. I uh, had an art scholarship. And I, as I began to research and, and go into this world of numerology and ancient math, I began to lose my skills as, as, a, as a special effects makeup artist. And to this day, Evan, I can't paint. I can't draw stick figures. Nothing. It was like I've now I'm able to use both hands. I, I totally physically, spiritually, mentally, if you will, body, mind, spirit changed 180 degrees. With that in mind, how about your dreams? Have your dreams changed from before you had? Oh, your- absolutely. And you know, it's interesting too because I go in, in into the dream state, the alpha, the beta, the theta, and the delta consciousness in my second book, The Accidental Prophet, to be released in the fall. But I go into why meditation is so important to all of us. It's not about getting into, you know, that meditative state and asking, you know, or doing your manifestation list, but as just going in there and just being in a place called peace. And when we get into that deepest state of consciousness, that's when we receive from the universe. So I, I break it down into the alpha, the beta, the, the superconscious, the subconscious, and go into the deepest states. I learned to do this as a paranormal investigator. When I would go into a crime scene uh, or go into a, an unsolved murder case, I would go into what I call the sacred uh, seven um, breaths of compassion, and I would do this meditative you know, countdown, if you will, until I got into that deepest REM cycle, and then I would solve my the crimes, if you will, or go on these cases and work on them and, and at least try to put closure to these. So for me, the REM cycle is one of the most important things we do. So at nighttime, when I go to bed, I end my day with peace. I start my day with peace. You know, today I ask for peace. Today I ask for peace. Today I ask for peace. And I go into that, and this is where my dream state changes. You know, we live in conflict. We live in anger. We live in, in, a, in a greedy consciousness, if you will, especially here in the United States. And I think once we start tapping into the other things of why we really are here and finding our authentic purpose, uh, we can start tapping into what I call the collective consciousness. You know, Young did that. You know, uh, Sting does it. I mean, there are so many beautiful, amazing talented people's athletes who do this who use the mind as as a, as a vehicle to achieve so i use my mind as a way of 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 achievement if you will to my wish list right and uh, you definitely don't wake up in the morning and watch the news right because i know you mentioned no, something I, like, especially being no. behind the scenes you're able well, to, to see yeah. what you know what what news organizations do which is get sensational stories and profit off that and really kind of divide well, people well, it's become the new reality, and you know, think about it. We're constantly in a news cycle. I don't care where you go. Um, you know, there's news, 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 news. It's always breaking news, and you know, I tell my. You know, my the people who come to my lectures, you know, start tuning into each other. You know, start reaching out to each other. Turn off your TVs, and if you have to, start watching things that inspire your mind rather than deplete your mind. So for me, I you know, haven't been in the news division for so many years. I watch what we did for ratings' sakes, and I'm like, I'm not criticizing the news because I think we need to know what's going on. Right. But well, like anything, it becomes an addiction, and we inundate ourselves with this, and then we wake up depressed, and we start our day depressed with the boss we don't like, and we, you know, go to a job we hate, and we go home in traffic, and we get to the gym, and we're stressed, 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 and then we can't figure out why we're having bad dreams. So. Let me ask you this question. I'm sure in your talks you've met people who are atheists or who believe yes. that when you die, you just die, and there's no, nothing after that. Like From your perspective, how do you see them? Do you see them as people who are lost 
people who don't understand, people who don't have a creativity to understand that. that in other words, someone have to experience that first to become a believer in that. Well, it's funny you should say that because I'm going to give you a backstory and what's happened here. And real quick, I have more atheists coming to my lectures um, to listen to me, to debunk me. But when I get out there and start talking, they begin to understand that what I'm talking about isn't so much about the teachings of of of, of a particular religion. religion or anything. Yeah, yeah, because I don't advocate, you know, that I think right. that we take the very best of the very best. But Here's here's a backstory, you know. As a first time writer, I was trying to find a, an editor, and um, um, it's just tough. Anyway, fast forward to the punch. I had a client at Paramount Studios, and she read my first three uh, paragraph through my th- chapters and breakdown and, and uh, synopsis. Loved it, and she called an editor and set up this interview. And the editor refused to work with me because I was a first time writer. So this whole back and forth went on for six months. I called her and I said, Anna, I really want you to work in this book. And I'm really busy. Fast forward to the to the last punch. Her husband, who was atheist, read hmm. my three chapters and said, Anna, you're working on this book. This is amazing. I get this as an atheist. I'm not promoting you know, that I be- I'm not an atheist. I'm very spiritually connected and I believe in God. But for some reason, what he read in Keymaster made sense to him on so many levels. So I have all these atheists who come to me and just are just I'm not saying they're born again by my lecture, but they're listening to what I have to say because I don't talk about the God that we've been taught with the, the pearly gates and the beard and the staff as much as I talk about the God that I perceived on the other side was electrical frequency, was an energetic frequency. Um, it was all – everything on this planet is based on energy. Right. And uh, do you believe that sound – it's funny, I had this conversation. Oh, yeah, I had this conversation a few days ago with a friend of mine who's a composer. How he says that sound and vibrations change like the frequencies of the mind and it could get you into these meditative states where you can reach the kind of consciousness that you speak of. Well, what happened to me in part of this equation of my near death experience, as I mentioned, I stayed at 89 pounds and, and I. The doctors gave me three months to live. They couldn't explain oh, wow. why the medicines were were I, why I was having such adverse reactions. And basically, I refused the surgery. One of my celebrity clients flew me to Santa Fe. I met with a shaman Indian for a week. Um, I didn't believe, obviously, in any of this. What I called at the time hocus pocus. Right. But what he used was math, sound frequency, and vibrational frequency to heal my body. So what happened within one week? Uh, the Crohn's disease went into remission immediately, and there was no trace of tuberculosis. Huh. Nothing. It was all done through sound, through color, and through math. And so what I learned is that when you get into a state – I use trance music. I'm a big fan of Armand Van Buren. He's the, the number one DJ of the planet of, what, the 10th year in a row. But I listen to his trance music because when I get in an altered state of consciousness, that's when I start receiving information on the other side. Many, many screenplay writers and many writers anyway, they either write early in the morning, which I did at 4.30, or they write late at nighttime. When the entire planet begins to shift and slows down and we tap more into the REM cycle, and that's what I write. So I use sound, I use math, and I meditate on on certain frequency numbers. Uh, I meditate on the the triple codes. I go back to those mathematical equations and I put certain music on and I have color all around me. And that's when I go into my altered state and I write. First time, my first book that I wrote, never wrote a book before, Evan. Yeah. Um, it, it just, it just. It wrote it, itself. It took off. It wrote <laughs> itself. 
you know, they said, you know, people aren't going to come listen to you talk about numerology and, and colors and sound frequency and angels. Well, they did. They show up in record numbers. So, you know, I, it goes back to I think we have, because everything is falling apart, especially in the political arena, people are looking for answers and they're seeing the wars that go on because of religion. And I think people are tired of it. And, you know, I always say I'm the last house on the block. I'm the last person they come to uh, after they've tried everything. And they go away um, feeling a whole sense of purpose. And the reason why is because it's up to all of us to find our authentic purpose.